Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today my guest is Tatiana Taka. She is the founder of Onivision and a brand consultant. She's going to give us some deep insights on how brands can approach the esports space, work with content creators, and discuss the cross-section of anime, gaming, and pop culture. Let's talk to Tatiana. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to have Tatiana Taka here, who is the founder of Onivision and a brand consultant. Somebody who, if you want to know esports, you got to talk to her. Tatiana, I am really excited to have you here today. I've followed your content for years. I really respect your your experience and your perspectives on the esports space and beyond. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. And that's so sweet. I really appreciate that. It's been a lot of fun working in such a, you know, evolving and, and ever-changing space. It definitely always keeps me on my toes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a really fun one to be involved in. So I'm really excited to be here and share some of my insights, experience, and all of that. Absolutely. So tell let's start with a little bit of your consulting. So you've worked with a number of brands over the years. Esports is a very complicated, difficult landscape for a lot of brands, especially the non-endemics coming in from the outside saying, I know kids are doing this, but what do I do? Where do I do? How do I do it? Tell us about your consulting practice. Absolutely. So I've been working in the gaming space the last 11 or so years. Um, you know, I've started in the mobile, you know, mobile gaming side. I worked with a ton of various licensors from Marvel, Disney, the NFL, NBA, and so many others. And, um, you know, and then I transitioned more into esports and gaming specific partnership areas and, you know, worked on the agency side on, you know, for multiple, multiple years. So I had essentially established Onivision, um, late last year as basically an independent consulting and advisory practice focused on the gaming, esports, and anime space. Hmm. So the idea is to essentially be a bit of a cultural consultancy advisor for brands, but also agencies who have a lot of, uh, represent a lot of brands, as well as direct with gaming organizations and entertainment IP. And the idea is to really bridge that gap not just with esports, but broader nerd culture, um, thinking about strategy, creative opportunities, collaborations and activations that really focus on the space's most valuable opportunities. You know, as mm. this continues to be a, you know, a changing space, I'm constantly looking at trends and white spaces where brands can essentially intersect as well as, you know, game gaming properties. They're really developing so many new initiatives. So it's about, you know, looking at content creation, um, esports teams, esports leagues, gaming platforms, publishers, even anime licenses, and really seeing where are those opportunities to really intersect. And the reason why I wanted to start this practice, especially is because, as I mentioned already, this space moves so quickly. And what we were seeing is that there were so many brands wanting to enter the space, but there wasn't enough, there was a need for accessibility, a a need for Mm. kind of flexibility in the kind of top tier expertise that people could kind of tap into. You know, there's a lot of activations at a variety of budgets. There's a lot of long-term deals, but there's a lot of test and learn, especially in such a new space. You know, 
most brands activating in gaming are new to it. They really, you know, haven't done it before, or, you know, maybe they have, but different departments or, you know, different, different categories. And it's really ultimately to help more organizations aim for success. Because what we saw in the early days of esports is a lot of kind of, um, media deals or uh, brand logo slaps that, you know, didn't necessarily hit on the KPIs that brands were really looking for or really hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially a fight against lukewarm initiatives. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by Ice Shaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. Uh, What I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my iShaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for iShaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your iShaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded iShaker at iShaker.com forward slash DLC Drop. Save 20% on all iShaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. Yeah, I think what we've seen from a lot of brands who have experience in more traditional forms of advertising or traditional sports is, oh, I'm just going to do what I do in traditional sports with, you know, the League of Legends tournament. And the kids will see my logo and yeah. they'll start buying my insurance or whatever. Right. And that can be fine to take a similar approach to what you may be doing in more traditional sponsorship segments like sports, music, broader entertainment. But having the nuanced understanding of gaming and how that can be customized to this space, understanding the most valuable partners that can really execute what you're looking for and give you the kind of the creative flexibility as well. What's really exciting about this space is, you know, let's say your sports sponsorship platform is, is kind of developed in a way because this is what you, this is what you as a brand want and that's your core strategy, but also might be because of the lack of flexibility and the big dollars that are required to spend in uh, traditional sports. Mm. Well, gaming is a much more flexible realm and, and a much more, I mean, it's getting more and more expensive every year, but it still is comparatively much less expensive than traditional sports. So you could potentially do things that are really first of its kinds, never been done before. Um, It can still ladder into your strategy, or you can do something totally different. You can do something that you wish you could have done in other sponsorship realms and it's actually possible here. Yeah, that's a great point. You talk about how gaming is more flexible. There, There's so many, I would say, different types of touch points that if you're wanting to reach a gamer, you can do that in all sorts of different ways, different games, streamers, content, uh, live events, broadcast events. What are some of those unique ways that brands can reach young people through gaming where traditional sports is a little less flexible or more stringent to which restricts that type of creativity. Absolutely. Well, 
At a high level, you have obviously esports leagues and teams, and uh, you know there there's a lot of different variety, a lot of different kind of opportunity and and variety and and how you can approach those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's always ways to think about you know which title, for instance, is is trending, which title is, you know, able to kind of maintain viewership and and growth and really be flexible, which ones offer more kind of sports-like assets versus more customization. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing, and, you know, there's experiential opportunities, there's direct game and publisher type relationships. I'd say the segment that we're seeing grow the fastest is, one, a lot of in-game customization. um, Yeah in a way that's never been able to, you know, brands haven't been able to do before. So, um, you know, a lot of brands, for instance, over the last many, many years have asked, like, how can we actually get inside the game? And mm-hmm. the reality is there was very few opportunities for that. Brands did, or publishers didn't want brands to go inside their games um, because it kind of messed with their, the world that they're building. And, you know, sure. it, it, um, it's, uh, you know, Killed the illusion of this, you know, of this, uh, of this um, space. Um, but now, with things like Minecraft, Fortnite, Creative, Roblox, etc., people—that's that's a huge trend that brands are are going towards in terms of creating their own worlds. Or what I'm actually a little bit more excited about is integrating into those worlds that are already quite valuable and already have mm-hmm. guaranteed monthly and daily active users. Yeah, you know, there's the you know, the balance of creating your own world, but not having enough engagement or integrating into a world. Maybe it's not as ownable as you would like, but there's a ton of scale there. Um, So there's, there's that scene, but then there's also the content creators, um, the Twitch streamers, uh, the YouTubers, and now the emerging uh, gaming TikTokers. Um, This is uh, where we're seeing actually a significant um, shift of brand dollars in gaming um, actually move um, yeah, towards in a, in a pretty significant way. And I think the rea- the reason behind that makes a lot of sense. There's just a ton of guaranteed built-in scale. Um, mm. There's a lot of flexibility in how you can kind of collaborate with creators because there's just so many of them to potentially partner right. with. And um, they have the big personalities, and but there's a there's a there's a competitive component to many of them. They're quite skilled, but they're not the absolute best. They still have um, a personality that leans in on on creator on, on a on the kind of those brand deliverables in a right. in a really powerful way. I think brands are really starting to understand that there's a lot more opportunity around live streaming than simply you know. Uh, looking at it as a kind of a media integration opportunity, you can really think about this as a experiential space. Mm. And I've always looked at live streaming as 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 experiences, as you know, an extension of a live, like a physical event. Right. And I think as people start to understand that mind shift and and really understand the value of live streaming going that way towards content creators has really been a really powerful play. And I think it was stream elements that said, uh, 79% of there's a 79% increase in sponsored live streams last year alone, Wow! Uh, which just shows just how many, how much opportunity there really is around this, uh, specific segments. Yeah. I think you make some great points with the, specifically the content creator part there. Number one, it seems 
a little easier to manage sometimes when you're, you know, one person, one, no, not that you're not necessarily working with just one person at all times, but let's say you work with one big creator, let's say Dr. Disrespect or Tim the Tapman, for example, it's like, wait, I don't have to worry if they're going to win or lose on stage. Don't have to worry about, you know, this, uh, this, this tournament and the, the schedule of competing and am I represented right at the physical, uh, tournament for my activation. And it's, it just seems a, a lot easier to kind of put your arms around, and the other thing that I think really validates what you're saying with the rising content creators is we're even seeing esports orgs that will sign big content creators to raise their profile as an org. Uh, com- speaking of here, I'm sitting here in Dallas, Texas today, uh, where Complexity is based. And so we know Tim mm-hmm. the Tapman was signed to Complexity, and it's like, right. wow, that's a huge move. Well, his massive audience is now a Complexity audience due to that association. So yeah, I, I think you're you're right on with that. Yeah, absolutely. I do think the esports teams that have had that foresight of, you know, thinking about content creators and how they fit into their organization um, mm-hmm. has have been crucial for so many of their uh, success. Like I said, the this space is one that just moves really quickly and content creators themselves are quite flexible. They can really react to the trends that we're seeing in the space. So um, positioning them with, uh, with uh, the right competitive uh, team, but also having the right balance of personality, also thinking about um, you know, their lifestyle and their product and the brand that they stand for. These are really uh, all crucial, crucial things for the success of an esports team mm-hmm. because it really helps ensure that they're well positioned to move with the trends and with the times. Um, you know, a content creator, for instance, can pick up uh, the next big streaming uh, title that, you know, who knows what that'll be that, right. you know, kind of pops live streaming viewership in a much easier way than an esports pro could. So, yeah. you know, and they can do IRL content and, you know, do cooking streams or cosplay or, you know, things that are, you know, culturally relevant, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then that team kind of has that value and that perspective. I mean, you're also seeing the the dependence on esports industries kind of focused around content creators with the leagues themselves. You know, Valorant has an amazing strategy around co-streaming for its leagues where, mm. where they'll partner with TENS or other really big Valorant creators to watch on their channels and you know that bolsters their viewership in a really significant way and now the you know the LCS is doing the same thing a lot of leagues are thinking about uh, the built-in audience that comes with a content creator and the value of watching those things simultaneously and it really does offer a, a really great impact and um, additional it also just adds so much additional value for the brands that they're trying to sell in because now they can not just have the media that they're, you know, providing in their own platform, but, you know, on on, mul- on a multitude of other channels as well. Yeah, I think it's been really interesting to see how the te- 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 earlier point, uh, how teams have brought on content creators to kind of s- subsidize the co- competitive aspect of esports where, you know, the competitive aspect, you've got to pay a lot of money to, s- to players for salaries You've got to pay fees to be able to compete in the league for the title. That's losing you money. And so, oh my gosh, 
how do I make money to offset all of those costs? And sure, you have sponsorships, but you know these content creators and what they can bring in sponsorships and beyond is it's almost like you you have the competitive team almost as an excuse to be an esports org, and then okay, we're making our money with all of these variety of of creators over here. Certainly, certainly, yeah. It's 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 really about esports team in my opinion, is really about kind of brand affinity. Um, you know, you definitely have some sort of local play, especially, you know, in the, like a Call of Duty Overwatch scene, certainly. Yep. Um, but uh, there has to be a defining kind of personality and traits um, as a form of like self-expression and personality alignment yeah. with teams, um, you know, that I, you know, or an esports fan would naturally associate them, want to associate themselves with. So mm-hmm. fandom is really built at a, um, at a, you know, not a, not a like regional basis. It's, it's, it's a kind of an indefined personality. So, yeah. um, I really look at esports teams as a really great exercise in brand development because, mm. You know that is that is how you develop the affinity over the long run, and I think the brand, uh, the uh, teams that have not just been around the longest, but are let's say the most innovative. They're willing to take risks. They're trying new things. They're really thinking about how their teams, how their personalities, how their content, etc., intersects intersects culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the ones that have been kind of the most successful to date. Who are some of those teams that um, you're a big fan of what they've done um, on the business side, uh, working with sponsors and working with creators? Absolutely. Well, um, I think some of the more obvious ones that, you know, people point to are certainly 100 Thieves and and FaZe Clan. I think, you know, they do a really great job of balancing that, you know, entertainment side of both competitive and personality. Uh, they have a really strong perspective on their own product, on what their logo stands for, cross collaborations. They've both done anime collabs, which, you know, in, in my book uh, gives them a lot of credit yep. uh, with Naruto and, and Attack on Titan. You know, so I think uh, from, a, you know, who's done it best in terms of uh, looking at these two segments, but also thinking about brand and, and product. Uh, certainly those orgs. But I also think that the ones that have been around a long time and really kind of understand their their audience, you know, for instance, G2, I'd mm-hmm. say G2 is definitely uh, much heavier on the on the pendulum swing of, of competitive. Yeah. But they also still have a really strong perspective on brand and product. And, you know, that's a bit more of a priority for them is, is you know, to, um, that's really more of how they were founded. So it's also good that esports teams kind of like them are staying true to their roots as well and not like foregoing, you know, uh, what they're known for, for what they think the future is at the same good time. Good point. Yeah, they're not selling their soul in, in that respect. Well, we've talked a, a bit about content creators, lightly touched on teams. This is a very complicated, uh, complex space with so many moving parts. What are some of the other opportunities, if you want to say at a high level, if let's say if I'm a brand and I'm saying, Tatiana, what are my opportunities in this space? What should I consider? Uh, what are some of those other options that I could look at? Absolutely. Well, this is... Probably one of my favorite things about the gaming space is, you know, there is just so many entry points that a brand can uh, get involved in. If you look at leagues alone, there are, 
you know, just so many options. There's so many teams, there's so many creators, gaming events, etc., that organizations can really lean in on, whether it's more about kind of long-term strategies, test and learns, thinking about kind of the licensing space or live experiences or kind of, uh, you know, ambassadorship. There's just so many uh, touch points there. And so what I always recommend to brands is really to, that fragmentation of the space uh, mm-hmm. can definitely be something very intimidating. Yeah. And it's definitely not the easiest thing to conquer. It's why uh, gaming strategies, I think, are so important, especially if you're thinking about a long-term play and, and at least having a perspective of what success looks like to this brand. Yeah. You know, but I always say use that fragmentation to your advantage. You know, the fact that there are so many touch points yes, it can be very intimidating. And it also might mean that you're sending out a lot of RFPs and getting, let's say, um, responses back that might be almost more confusing. Is is this what I'm looking for? Is this what I need? Is this like, you know, the value that, you know, I can sell into the higher ups and get them to, you know, commit larger budgets to right. gaming in the next quarters? You know, so uh, I always recommend like, you know, really take your time, Get help from experts if you need it and really look at what those offerings are because chances are there is going to be a partnership, an opportunity, a collaboration out there that is going to serve your exact or very close to it needs and at a variety of budgets. You know, I've worked at this point with so many different brand categories in the space and I've always been able to find success in the nuances. And Hmm. so that's another really key consideration is really think about the, the culture's that are developed and that exist within each community, you know, community, um, you know, fandoms are developed, are, you know, kind of in gaming and in the gaming and finding success in, you know, with gaming partners, there is, should be some sort of active or excited community. Um, and that's really defined by the fandoms and communities can be as, as segmented and as nuanced as the individual creator that you're working with. There's in jokes, there's, there's a new language, there's, um, there's references and, uh, different kind of relevant titles and, and just things that a brand can really lean in on in a really fun and creative way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, finding success in not just the the fragmentation, but also the cultures, the multitude of cultures that exist within those things um, is really quite key. Yeah, it's something that someone like yourself is going to offer a lot of value to, to a brand is understanding not all gamers are the same. It's not one group of people. I talk to a lot of people about, you know, the difference between traditional sports versus esports. And I always use the example that we know in traditional sports, the the audience for the NBA is very different than Major League Baseball, is very different than soccer, is very different from the NFL, right? And so it comes to a surprise, to the surprise of a lot of brand leaders who aren't gamers themselves that, wait a minute, like your Call of Duty audience is going to be very different than your Valorant audience, your League of Legends audience, etc. Can you give, I'm curious, two examples, just whatever comes to mind, of two different communities or uh, fandoms of two different titles and just, you know, what some of those nuances are that you're familiar with? Absolutely. 
Let me give that a thought. So I know like at the height of Fortnite when, you know, 2018 or 19, mm-hmm. uh, I did a actually a, a direct kind of overlap look between Fortnite audience and a League of Legends audience. Mm. And what was kind of interesting was um, there was only about a 30% overlap between between those two titles. Again, it just really what that kind of showcases as well is if a brand is spending in League of Legends and they're also spending in Fortnite, you're not necessarily talking to the same audience. So a kind of a dual League and Fortnite approach could actually be quite beneficial to, you know, to a more holistic brand strategy that's really trying to tackle, you know, both segments. And, uh, you know, how might one go about that uh, would also look very different. A League of Legends community is definitely in a significant way defined by its uh, its competitive community. And, and that's where a lot of kind of active content exists. I mean, certainly there are a lot of like really great league streamers, um, you know, such as Tyler One and others. Yeah. The very natural, a, na- a very natural uh, role here might be a more competitive scene. And, you know, in, in this case, there are a ton of different characters. There's this, you know, really built out world. And, and yeah. the IP, I would argue, is getting even stronger and stronger with initiatives like uh, Arcane, the, you know, Netflix uh, animated series. So there's a lot of different ways to approach, uh, to approach a league strategy. Um, you know, on the other side with Fortnite, it's all about... Uh, you know, you're looking at a much more, you, there's certainly a competitive component there, but it really is in many ways defined by personalities mm. and, uh, and the, you know, the folks that are playing with each other. It's also really defined instead of like a fully built out world, it's a lot of drops. It's a lot of, this is our story now, and that's our story now, and here's a new uh, character, and now we're going to do Dragon Ball Z, and then we'll do mm-hmm. Snoop Dogg, and then we'll do you know, a Marvel drop or a Star Wars drop. There's, you know, it's it's a lot about kind of what's in. And, yeah. you know, so focusing on, you know, let's say creators like Cypher PK or looking at, you know, Ludwig's Fortnite competition, the the no builds competition. You know, right. there are that that might would, you know, take on a totally different strategy. Or that strategy might be a little bit more metaverse specific. And sure. you might lean in on Fortnite creative and using influencers to amplify that. So you know, that's a really good kind of showcase of, you know, two very different strategies. But if you, you know, if you actually did them together, it would actually work nicely together because, you know, you're hitting two different audiences. Right. I, I think one thing that's so important, and it's people like yourself who really provide this value, is, you know, a brand could could do a campaign with an esports t- title and it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, deliver the results that they had hoped. But a big part of that might be they just targeted the wrong audience without even knowing that they're working with the wrong title, right? And so I would definitely call out to brands listening to this episode that, you know, give esports a little bit more of a chance, you know, you know, speak with Tatiana because this is a, a place that people, it, it's kind of gained a reputation of, oh, esports isn't delivering the ROI that we that we thought it would there's you know brands and agencies there's that narrative at times and there's different reasons for that but one of them can be just all of these cultural nuances if you're looking at esports and you're like oh we got to be in the esports which one should we 
sponsor and you throw a dart at your esports dartboard and you're like, I guess it's Overwatch. Uh, <laughs> like, like it, it could very well be that gaming and esports is the right play for your brand, but you simply do not understand those nuances to understand which title should I be targeting and is this a team approach versus a content creator approach versus a, a content approach sort of a thing. And so to that point, things need to be very custom. And I know that you're a big fan of custom campaigns. Um, oh, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what is your approach? If I'm a brand and I'm like, Tatiana, I got to figure this out. I want to reach the gamer. And you say, John, your brand, we want to develop a custom campaign. What, is the, what does that look like? What is your approach? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, when it comes to going custom, I mean, the first thing that we that I always like to look at is, is um, you know, what their ultimate goals are. And then what are things that we can do that's just a little bit different or, you know, really takes advantage of the overlaps? You know, I, I look at brand activation as like a little bit of cross-culture collaboration in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. These brands kind of, uh, they... They've spent a lot of time building their own strategy, their own social footprint, their own voice. They're, um, you know, and there are, you know, fans of those brands, um, mm -hmm. whether they're more outwardly, you know, stated or not. You know, you have a lot of, there are a lot of folks who, you know, really look at a certain brand as, um, you know, maybe a level of achievement or, or uh, you know, they use the product or maybe they just kind of align really nicely with, um, with uh, what that brand is. So really, uh, getting really understanding where those things kind of exist in gaming and think of thinking about things almost in a, in a collaboration mm. mindset as opposed to, Hey, let me sponsor you for this thing, right. you know, really ensuring that there's a, almost like a philosophical excitement, you know, a, a really kind of more obvious example of this would be like, you know, League of Legends and and Louis Vuitton. You know, yep. that's a very good example of it was a it was a brand licensing deal, sponsorship, in you know, integrate you know, in game integration, all in one. Uh, but it didn't feel like a you know, it didn't feel like, you know, a sponsorship. It felt right. like a collaboration. Fit. So it, it 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 passes that common sense litmus test of like, oh, wait a minute, you have this dope ass luggage and that's what this insane trophy is going to be inside. And I know they did more than just that, but that's yeah, kind of like sure. the, the, the big shiny object of the, the, the partnership that people saw. And it's like, yeah, yeah. not only does it make a lot of sense, but that's dope. Exactly. And, uh, you know, similarly, we've seen a lot of really cool music activation, uh, you know, cross-culture plays and, and things like that. You know, I don't see why a brand couldn't similarly do something that feels that's relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even if it is a brand that's, you know, a little bit less that, you know, has a little bit less of a of a relevance to gaming like an obvious um, tie to it yeah an obvious tie to it exactly so you know just as an example one thing i did with dr pepper was you know their whole focus uh you know name was uh or their kind of brand identity is the one you deserve you know dr pepper is the one you deserve yeah so, you know so how does that relate to a gaming audience well 
Streamers are streaming, you know, have these have uh, crazy streaming schedules. They don't take a lot of breaks. Right. Um, you know, so really recognizing that, um, you know, that they deserve a break. They deserve a reward. Dr. Pepper is that reward, you know, it is, is something that kind of feels very relevant to the brand, but it also feels quite great to the content creators. And, and so what we did to kind of celebrate that was a kind of a treat the streamer marathon live streamed event uh, where we partnered with you know, eight streamers, they all did back to back one hour to two hour segments. And but the twist was that we used our activation budget on custom gifts that we collaborated on with the streamers, things that would, you know, uh, things as you know, to kind of really celebrate the one you deserve. Um, So with Foosley, we got her a new neon sign for her streaming room and a brand new acoustic guitar. For for other creators, we got them Dr. Pepper fridges for their streaming room. We got yeah. them, you know, neon signs, whatever it was that, you know, uh, uh, hosted experiences, whatever it was that we that the creators themselves felt they wanted and, and would help kind of amplify either their personal or, or um, streaming life. We, we got that for them and cool. we created content specific to that. So, again, a really great way to showcase uh, how a brand's active role and the scene can, you know, really uh, feel, again, like quite collaborative and, and a bit more unique. Yeah, I love that. And you, speaking to your the cultural nuances that you mentioned earlier, if you didn't know that streamer that well, you wouldn't know that she would love an acoustic guitar, right? Like, who would guess that a streamer would want an acoustic guitar? And it's like, well, streamers are complex humans like the rest of us. And I know that this person loves playing guitar. And so I think that's cool too, is just the importance of that customization, that deep understanding, rather than just seeing everyone as you're all the same, you have the same interests, you just want to do digital things. It's like, no, there are interests outside of that. And this is how that person feels validated and and valued. Exactly. You know, I like to think of content creators because they are multifaceted, multidimensional individuals. And yeah. Don't just live and breathe the games that they play, and they there is a lot of things that they love. There's a lot of uh, just very relevant fandom um, yeah. that uh, that um, you know brands can lean in on, and that's a part of their personality. It's a part of their culture, and you know, really looking at creators and thinking, okay, this is what you do well. You you know, you stream these games well, or are you good at IRL content? Are you you know? Yeah. whatever it is and you you lean in on what they do well but then you amplify um you amplify that experience and you eventize everything and you you're continually adding value for for the streamer for their audience um you know that's really the um the way to think about it yeah i'll, I'll share one of my favorite um case studies in esports that i've seen and i didn't do it i'm just a fan of it but uh, it was uh, Turtle Wax with Optic Gaming. And mm-hmm. what I love, it's it's similar to what you're talking about here with like, what are the non-gaming behaviors of these complex humans, right? And so they, uh, you, you, you think, okay, Turtle Wax in, with a Call of Duty team, like what the heck did they do? Well, Crim6, when he was with Optic at the time, that dude loves his Porsche. Like if you scroll his Instagram, it's more Porsches than it is COD, you know? And they also uh, worked with Hector Rodriguez, who has a G-Wagon. They worked with Flamesword, who loves motorcycles. 
And they just leaned into this natural behavior that was already happening and created content around these guys keeping their cars clean, who which they're doing with or without turtle wax, right? They just like put that name and that brand to what they were already doing. And then they did a lot of extra content with Krim where they wrapped his Porsche in the same design as his custom scuff controller, that uh, motherboard type pattern. And then they shipped his Porsche to Call of Duty World League events where you could take a picture with the turtle wax Porsche. And then they expanded doing stuff with splice and things like that. But I think that really reinforces your point of look a little deeper just because your company might be a soft drink or might be car wax or might be a logistics company. I'm thinking DHL and Dota. I'm sure you're familiar with (laughs) what they did there as well, but is there's a play for you. Just take the time to listen, talk to Tatiana, right? Understand these nuances. And there is a fit more often than not, even if it's not very obvious. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, and I think that's a really great example. And actually, what I've what I've found is that creators will, if they don't think something will work for their channel, uh-huh. they're let you know. You know, if <laughs> yeah, they will. Yeah. <laughs> no, they'll let you know. Like, if you have an idea that's a little bit out there, mm-hmm. there is probably a creator who's never done it before, but it still would be a natural fit. It still makes sense for, you know, yeah. um, to try it out. It's cosplaying, really good example. You know, um, a lot, you know, a lot of brands have, have been leaning in on, you know, different kind of, uh, cosplaying as a, as a tactic for various activations. Yeah. There are, there are creators who that's their thing and they, and they really like to cosplay. And there are some that are like, you know, they've never done it before, but there are some that sure. kind of sound really out of the box, right? Like, you know, would co- you know, is that really for them? But it's kind of so almost out there that it's can really create a moment. It can cause kind of a viral buzz. It's such a kind of out of the box thing for them, but they can handle it really well that it would actually sure. work great. Right. And that's a that's kind of like a, a tough thing to always know. Like, you know, is this actually a good idea for them or should I be looking at it for someone else? Or should I be looking at it for a more out of the box creator because it would be so unique for them to do it, that it actually would work. Oh yeah. Um, It's definitely a two way street of exactly. You're going to get more out of a creator as well that when they're into it, they're going to do more just like anything we naturally enjoy you know, your favorite part of your work, you probably spend more time doing that versus the things that you have to do, but um, you don't really enjoy. And when you get a content creator who's really into something and when you lean on them for their ideas, right? Like, like they're called creators for a reason. They are very creative. Um, So I, I, yeah, I always love to take the approach of, um, you know, even if I come to them with an idea, you know, I'm, I always leave it open for yeah. them to intersect their own take and own twist on things. And I also give them the opportunity to ideate, um, right. against that idea. And, um, I think the key is not to come with them with an open canvas or just a, a blank wall. Cause you know, that can be really intimidating and yeah. they, you know, they, they're creative, but they're not brand experts at the same time, even though they may have worked with a lot of brands. But if you give them some wiggle room um, within the box, let's say, 
to work in. Um, that can be the difference between a, you know, a, a good campaign and a highly executed, you know, successful campaign that really kind of hits um, and checks all the boxes for the creator, for the audience, and, you know, for yourself. Yeah, that's really well said. I, I always say uh, the script for the influencer is an oxymoron because, like, you should not be giving them the script. Um, they have built that audience for a reason. There's a reason people tune into them, and it's because of what they do and how they do it. And so lean into that. Don't compromise that. But it's a really good point, too, um, to not go too far and say, I have no ideas what would you do, but to say, hey, you know, we're roughly thinking X, Y, Z. We want to accomplish this. Our product is about this. We know you do this. Can you take it from here? Or let's just do some brainstorming and you'll come up with, I think that's a, a, a great formula to, to equal success there. Yeah. Well, I want to touch a little bit on anime. Um, anime we haven't talked a whole lot about on this podcast, but it is very relevant to gaming culture. And so why don't you give us um, a little bit of 101 on the cross-section of gaming, pop culture, and anime, and then we'll take it from there. Absolutely. So, um, you know, when I started my consulting practice, I knew that, um, you know, esports and gaming, live streaming would be major components to you know, the value that I was offering. But I made a, uh, a conscious decision to make anime a significant and just as equal pillar of those things. And the reason for that is not just because this is a space I absolutely adore, live and breathe as a fan, as, um, and, you know, just as uh, someone who constantly sees and looks at the future of collaborations. But, you know, anime is one of those scenes that has just grown so significantly. And I just think we're really even just in the beginning of that. We saw over the last two years about a 118% increase in, in global demand of anime content. Um, it's actually one of the fastest uh, growing content genres um, since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really look at anime as a very relevant thing to gaming because it, from my perspective, anime activation is essentially activating around gaming culture and vice versa. I think that when you activate around gaming culture, you're really activating around um, around anime in a similar way. Mm. So, um, you know, and, and these two things, look, there are, uh, are there gamers who are not fans of anime or, you know, have, have no interest in it? Absolutely. But there is such a strong link between the two. And as I'm doing more kind of anime collaborations and work around various anime series um, around my work with Crunchyroll in particular and Funimation, I'm just seeing such a very relevant and exciting intersection. And one that just we're already, you know, has already been naturally shown. Um, mm-hmm. The VTuber scene in particular has really, really leaned in on anime aesthetics for uh, VTuber characters. Um, a lot of esports pros and content creators use anime profile pictures for their profile pictures, um, right. or use anime characters in their official graphics, or 
they'll create anime versions of themselves. And that is, you know, that is the brand that they're putting out there. It's a very, very, like from a, from just, you know, even removing the, the component of actual official collaborations aside, Mm -hmm. the gaming audience has been adopting anime as a form of self-expression for so long. But now, especially content creators are really, you know, making that a part of their personality and a core product, uh, part of the, um, the content and the products that are putting out there. And then on the esports side, certainly like, you know, we've seen some really great um, anime collaborations to date with uh, Team Liquid and Naruto, Phase Clan and Naruto with um, 100 Thieves and uh, Attack on Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, even, we even just see things, anime references used by shoutcasters and hosts. I remember, right. you know, just watching um, an LCS final and the shoutcaster said, like, he's writing him in his death note. Like, you know, you can't, that's, that's such, uh, and every, anyone would understand what that meant. Right. Um, and the chat was just, you know, spamming, um, just so much stuff about that. So, you know, I think there's that culture play and then that leans in and supports the opportunity for more official collaborations. And then even, uh, from an experiential perspective, we're seeing so many, uh, creators lean in on, anime events anime expo in la um Mm -hmm. had so much gaming relevance we saw a lot of different creators go we had offline tv actually have their own booth with their own merchandise space massive lines there you know there's just a lot more that can be activated against this and i think that's a really exciting thing for brands um you know to think about okay how are we showing up and uh you know does anime uh, from a kind of activation perspective makes sense for our strategy yeah, and, and especially in product collaboration and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, just, and just actually as an example to that, uh, you know, in, in a collaboration I worked on with Dr. Pepper and Boosley, we did a, we collaborated on a, um, custom gaming chair. It was actually a recliner chair that had a built-in fridge. Oh, cool. And, and it had, it integrated their, you know, the Dr. Pepper and Fuzzy logos and together in really, you know, adorable ways. And we thought, let's do something a little bit different. So we actually worked with uh, Fuzzy's main uh, uh, artist who does really great anime art. And we created a anime artwork of Fuzzy drinking Dr. Pepper. And it was hidden. It was a hidden feature, actually, inside the refrigerator. So you opened it and, and it would appear there. Super cool. So just a really, just a really sweet way to think about the space and, and how it can be leveraged. And, you know, that doesn't require a uh, a big license collaboration, but I would argue that there's a big opportunity for that and, and one that, you know, makes a lot of sense for both brands as well as gaming properties. Yeah. Anime art is obviously such a recognizable, unique style of art. And so you see a lot of collaborations really lean into that artwork or, or even just featuring that artwork. Um, I, you know, my origin is in the skateboarding world and Primitive Skateboards is one of the top skateboard companies, real, really a leader in their branding and marketing. And they do all sorts of anime collabs where they have skateboard graphics, you know, from anime. And so... Wow. Actually, that's the, that's why I know uh, about Primitive. Oh, so incredible. So end, you know, I wouldn't, this is a brand I would not have heard of had it not been for 
their uh, continued collaborations in the space. So again, just showcases a reason for thinking about, you know, cross culture and, and reaching new audiences that way. Yeah, you could engage a whole new audience and a whole new segment that to your point right now would never have heard of this brand other than you tapped into that passion point and they saw the collab and then you know i look forward to seeing you do kickflips out there uh <laughs> what are so okay so we understand there's this uh collab but really uh leveraging highlighting the art what are some other ways that you you see brands engaging with anime to reach those audiences um, well, I mean, certainly the, the licenses themselves are, you know, increasingly valuable um, and, you know, things that, you know, brands can obviously really consider when aligning themselves. The growth of Attack on Titan, Jujutsu Kaisen, Demon Slayer, like these are these have become household IPs and and name brands now and and ones that you know offer just as much kind of really creative collaboration opportunities as as any other kind of entertainment property out there as well as any uh kind of personality fits um i've really loved a lot of the work that i've done uh with crunchyroll especially because you know i really get to take a look at a lot of these series releases and movie releases and really kind of pinpoint very relevant uh influencers for those things Mm. so you know for instance with attack on titan um the final season um we were constantly seeing creators like Tim the Tatman and Nicewig on a weekly or multi-weekly basis tweeting about the show and and just, you know, hype, wow. you know, just being a part of the hype on a on a ongoing basis and that was so much fun to see and so, you know, we did we partnered with them on Attack on Titan themed streams. We thought about, okay, as a entertainment property and as a series, how can you as a, you know, as a as a rights license holder as a as a you know entertainment property mm-hmm. lean in on this gaming space as well so we did uh things like uh trivia with chat and reactions to the last episode and uh favorite character rankings and then we even thought about what is how does gameplay kind of have a twist to it so yeah. Hack on titan it was kind of ideal because they had a uh, collaboration with call of duty at the time oh, um so we, uh, we you know had a custom attack on titan Warzone with tim um but with apex legends and nicewig uh there's actually a mode where um it's uh primarily grappling okay. uh, as, as the as yep. the primary gameplay mechanic which is also the primary uh fighting mechanic and and um an attack on titan so we had kind of this uh custom gameplay that was very relevant to uh the show so stuff like that just was incredibly, incredibly well received. You know, the audience themselves just saw it as such a perfect partnership. So we just a lot of the comments that you'd see is like, this is such a W for Tim and, and for Nicewig, like perfect, perfect partnership. And, um, you know, so recognizing again, it's like about seeing where the fandoms are and really kind of recognizing that and leaning into it and also being quite creative Another collaboration we did was with Pokimane. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she, uh, you know, had seen and was a fan of the uh, show Jujutsu Kaisen and the movie was coming out. So we had given her an early access screening to um, cool. watch them before anyone else. But also we allowed her to invite 
uh, influencer friends to watch it with her. Um, so Valkyrie and Ariyasaki and, and other other um, uh, creators came over. They had a slumber party and, and Crunchyroll put on a big kind of house party for her. We had a custom themed cake. We had uh, we had our own kind of creative assets that we put on popcorn and gift bags. And we had, um, you know, the Uniqlo shirts um, available for everyone who attended. And um, we made it kind of this really fun, exclusive social moments that was, you know, just for her. Um, and a really great way to like bring awareness to um, to the movie. So I, I really like like examples like these as well, because I think we're finally starting to see Hollywood recognize Twitch streaming and gaming for their mm. activation opportunities. You know, they invest so much in nighttime talk shows and stuff like that. And sure. the fact that they had been overlooking the space for so long was definitely um, an oversight. And and they're finally starting to recognize that. That's a great so, point. So you know, these kinds of collaborations kind of show... Uh, the power of what entertainment um, can do in the scene as well. I love that. Uh, you're giving some great reasons for people to consider anime as, you know, one of their entry points to reach gamers. If you were to say there's one thing that I would caution you from doing when interacting with anime, what would that be for brands? Don't do this. Really good question. I have to think about that. Um, I think it's just... You know, as I said kind of before, it's it's about really identifying, you know, where the fandoms and the credibility exists. Okay. Um, you know, so never force fit. Uh, there are, like I said, a lot of uh, creators out there that really don't. It's not their thing. You know, they maybe they tried it out and they were just like, that's this is um, this is not for me. You know, so and then there are certain creators who you know, like different series. Um, not everyone is a fan of Dragon Ball Z and Naruto and One Piece, you know? Right. Maybe they align more with uh, with the romance or slice of life categories. Maybe they're more of a spy family uh, type personality. So, you know, uh, not force-fitting is, is, um, is definitely key as well. Um, and then uh, I wouldn't necessarily... Unless it, unless there's kind of like a reason to, or, or you know, like this is this is a scene that deserves respect. Um, in the same way that mm. gaming deserves respect, you know, this is a this is a emerging scene that is increasingly becoming more more relevant every day to the mainstream. Sure. Um, you know, uh, uh, this is not like nerd and mother's basements. You know, kind of. Uh, this is this is something that you know there's a lot of value and and um so the audience should you know kind of be uh uh that, i think that should be recognized that you know there's a it's a growing fandom and there's a lot of respect it's it's a really i you know one of the things i love about anime as well as manga is it's just such a beautiful art form as well like the, mm. the animation is you know in some of, in my opinion some of the most innovative stuff that I've seen and you know in the last year um, its take on animation and you know so the, so um, you know seeing that as such I think is and really respecting the uh, the scene is is uh, is important. I love that. Those, those are great takeaways. Um, boy, our time has flown. We're already at the end of this episode. I can't believe it. Um, I've been taking notes. I've been learning a lot. I know our audience is definitely going to be taking a lot away from this episode. If you'd like people to leave this episode with one thing, whether 
you're talking to a brand, whether you're talking to entrepreneurs who are starting their own consulting uh, journeys or anything else, what is the one thing that you would want people to take away? Have fun with it. You know, this is a this is a scene that continues to, like I said, uh, adapt, grow, be flexible. It has a lot of room for creativity. There's a lot of trends being developed around it, and there's a ton of white space and new opportunities. So there's a lot of at the root of it, there's just so much fun to be had here and, and yeah. really looking at uh, the collaborations and efforts that can be done. It, it, you know, it can certainly be intimidating and, and there can be a lot of, certainly a lot of um, big budgets or emerging budgets, you know, certainly being spent against it. But um, it's it's entertainment at the root of it. And, and the more kind of, uh, the more you're willing to be a little bit playful, be a little bit silly, take a, you know, be a little chaotic or, or um, you know, uh, you know, not take yourself too seriously. That's what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the KPIs that you ultimately need to do. I think yeah. the, the more success you'll find from it. Yeah, I think a lot of times in this space we can get so focused on ROI and KPIs and all these other business acronyms, right? Reporting back, trying to make sure that the juice is worth the squeeze, X, Y, Z. Yeah. And we forget that we are watching cartoons and playing video games and we should just be having the best time with this, yeah. um, just incorporating business into a way that makes it better for everyone. Exactly. There's a lot of mischief and silliness to find to find among, you know, the, you know, those big kind of PR worthy activations. Absolutely. Uh, Last question. What are ways that people can get in touch with you and connect with you in the ways that you'd like them to? Um, You know, anyone who's listening can absolutely feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. You know, I'm I'm, I'm there quite often. Um, So um, and I'm always happy to connect with folks. Uh, You can also find me on uh, Twitter at Tatiana M-U-F-C because I also happen to be a really big Manchester United fan. There we go. All right. <laughs> For context on, on that. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm an open resource for folks who may need it, and I'm always down to chat if, uh, if you know, uh, folks want to uh, get connected. Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate your time here today. You've got a wealth of experience, and you've got tremendous insights, just a, a beautiful understanding of this space. And so thank you for sharing all of that with our audience today on the DLC Drop podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futurai podcast network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.